Well, as you can see, brothers and sisters, today we are in chapter 20 of the book of Leviticus. If you remember, I said last week that along with chapter 18, chapter 20 forms kind of a bookend around chapter 19, probably with the purpose of making the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself as the very heart of all three chapters, ultimately signifying it is the heart of God's law. I said last week, you can tell chapter 20 forms a bookend with chapter 18 because they largely mirror one another. Now, there is some stuff from chapter 19 in chapter 20 as well. It's not just a mirror of chapter 18. For example, the call to holiness found at the beginning of chapter 19, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy, as we just saw, is largely repeated in chapter 20 as well. Furthermore, laws relating to honoring father and mother, as well as prohibitions against mediums and necromancer, are also repeated from chapter 19. Nevertheless, that being said, chapter 20 is still largely a mirror of chapter 18 in terms of content. For example, both deal extensively with prohibitions against sexual sins, and both forbid giving children in sacrifice to the Ammonite god of Molech, though that last aspect is really developed more in chapter 20. Furthermore, both chapters end with the threat of being vomited out of the land by God, just as the previous peoples were vomited out if the people of God do not adhere to the word that is given in these chapters. And so many, I think rightly, have seen that these chapters mirror one another. Now, perhaps you're wondering understandably. Well, pastor, if this is a mirror of a chapter we have already covered, then why aren't we going to skip over it as we have skipped over a few chapters in Leviticus because they more or less cover content already covered? Well, that's a good question, and I have two reasons for you. First, whereas chapter 18 is primarily concerned with sexual sins, if you remember, I said that it's concerned with them because these are violations and attacks against marriage and the family. With chapter 20, violations against marriage and family are a large concern, but we see that something is an even high, higher priority to God than marriage and family, namely himself and his worship. The effect of this is that we see a hierarchy of values according to God. What God prioritizes more, the name of my sermon is God's priorities. What are his great priorities, we could say? The first two, as we see in these chapters, fidelity to God coming first, and then family, and everything else after that. I want us to meditate on that today. Secondly, though chapter 20 does echo much of chapter 18 in terms of prohibitions against sexual sins and idolatry, what is new to chapter 20 is that now the same prohibitions are accompanied by the death penalty. In other words, chapter 18 forbids certain practices, chapter 20 prescribes the punishment for those who engage in certain practices, namely death. Now, while that may seem not all that significant at first, yet if we take a step back from the immediate view of this chapter and take into view the law of Moses as a whole and all the punishments for various um, violations in it as a whole, 
what we see is actually very revealing because the sins in this chapter receive the harshest punishments in the law. These bring the harshest judgments from God. God's priorities, what is most important to him, and therefore what is to be most important to Israel, and also by application to us, is first himself. He will come first, and he takes no exceptions. Particularly picky about this one. Secondly, family. Marriage and family. Huge priority to the Lord. And how do we know? Because he prescribes the death penalty for them. And you don't see the death penalty for a whole lot of different things in the Old Testament. In fact, Gordon Wenham, we've been reading along the way, notes this. An outstanding feature of biblical law is the preeminence it accords to human values as opposed to the economic considerations of much of ancient Near Eastern law. In Israel, religious offenses, offenses against life and the structure of the family tended to be punished more severely, whereas other ancient Near Eastern law codes tended to rate financial loss as more serious than loss of life, or at least to see loss of life in economic terms. For example, Babylonian law punished by death, breaking and entering, looting at a fire and theft, but in Israel, no offenses against property attracted the death penalty. Isn't that interesting? You take a look at what God values, you look at what the world values, money. Like, oh man, so true still today. The world is raging against God. They're like, let's, let's destroy the family unit. And that's not even hyperbole. They're like, the family unit is a bourgeois part of capitalism. Let's get rid of that thing. But oh man, you better make sure we have a really higher wage. Economic injustice, that's the greatest injustice there is. When you look at what God values, he says, I'm first, family's second, everything else comes after that. And we see that in this passage. What I want us to do then today, brothers and sisters, is to consider and meditate, about God, uh, meditate upon God's values on the one hand, but then on the other, the more challenging part, to see how our own values line up with God's. Now, do not say in your heart, Pastor, God and family? Man, you just add Texas right after that, and that's us here, right? God, family, Texas, right? We're Christians. We're all about that stuff. Pastor, we're in church. We abhor all the evil attacks against marriage and the family in the world today. Amen, I pray you do, and I know you do here today. But remember, we do not value our measures, we do not measure our values by comparing them to the world's. Rather, we put them up beside the clear light of God's perfect law. And when we do so, we will find ourselves wanting every time. And so while none of you here are worshiping false gods, you are in fact sitting in church hearing the word of the true God this very afternoon. You may be very faithful in religious duties, private devotions, leading your family in family worship. Yet is God alone sitting upon the throne of your heart today? Know that he will have no other, but he will have it all. And that is the call of the law. You may abhor 
the evil attacks against the family in the world today. And I know you all do here, and rightly so. But are you giving your wife? Are you giving your husband, your children, your parents, your siblings, your family? Do you give them the leftovers of your life? After perhaps work, money, hobbies, other things that need to be taken care of, guess what? That's a violation of the things in this law as well. They are not heinous as the sins are that are listed here, but it's in the same category. And they are also subtle violations against God's merit, uh, the institution of marriage and family. We want to meditate upon that today. Well, let's consider our text now. And see just what it shows us about God's values and what he calls our own values to be. Beginning in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech, do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan, and I will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him and whoring after Molech. If a person turns to mediums and necromancers whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Well, here we see God's prescription of the death penalty from the worship of Molech, which is child sacrifice, giving children to be burned um, on the altar or however it happened to the god Molech, which from archaeological evidence seems to be true. Molech was the god of Ammon, uh, the Ammonites, and even in temples found in modern-day Ammon, which is the capital of Jordan, ancient uh, the land of Ammon, they have found, uh, won't go into it, but archaeological evidence to prove that that was indeed the practice. Very, very wicked. God here prescribes the death penalty for engaging in such a sin. And yet more broadly, we would say all religious infidelity is condemned as well. Now, there's a variety of punishments seen throughout this chapter. Sometimes stoning is prescribed. At other times, being burnt with fire is prescribed. And sometimes, along with the death penalty itself, we see that God also says he himself will set his face against the violators and cut them off from the people, probably indicating that if the, fa- uh, if the community fails to act, he himself will bring divine retribution. In fact, there's an ancient Jewish translation of the Hebrew Bible in Aramaic, And it's kind of like an ancient amplified Bible. It's kind of like translation, part commentary, part like, oh, this is what this means. And for the phrase, I will cut them off, it says, I will destroy him by a plague from among his people. I shall make prosperity to cease with that man. Probably something like that is in view here. If the people don't do their job, God himself will act and you will reap what you sow. Now, as far as God's priorities, we see it not just in the prescription of the death penalty, but especially in the way that God gives an additional backup warning, namely 
that quote, if the people of the land do it all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death, I will set my face against that man and against his clan and will cut them off from among their people. While God has instituted, he highly values family and marriage. He will not countenance so much as children cursing father and mother. He will seek to protect it from all kinds of attacks. Yet if a family member goes after other gods, that takes precedence. The law requires then that while you would never otherwise harm a family member, quite the opposite, in that situation, God comes first. You were to put that person to death, even though they be family. That's why God adds this here. Because he knows it's largely going to be a member of one's own family who first discovers that one is going after foreign gods. And so serious is God about the fact that he will be first and foremost in the hearts of his people, he says, you cannot pass off this task. As much as I want you to love father and mother, son and daughter, this takes precedence. In fact, we see this more plainly in Deuteronomy 13. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 13, verses 6 through 11. Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 11. If your brother, the son of your Mother. Now, in a culture of polygamy, this would be the brother, the brother you are particularly close to, just as Joseph was particularly close to Benjamin. Or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, literally the wife of your bosom or your chest. And it's a metaphor, truly, for physically holding someone close to you, but more than that, holding them close to your heart, right? The wife you embrace. This, this is not just an arranged marriage. This is the spouse you are in love with and you embrace them, okay? Where'd he go? Sorry. Or your friend who is as your own soul, your absolute best friend. They're as your own soul. If they entices you secretly, no one else knows it. It's not public. You find out saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the people who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the, from, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Calvin notes, the phrases are emphatic. Thy brother who proceeded from the same womb. The wife who sleeps in thy bosom or embrace. The friend whom you love is yourself. 
in order that pure zeal, when it sees God's sacred name profaned, may not give way to any human affections. And God declares that all of our tenderest affections, which are implanted in us by nature, in which all the best persons sometimes indulge, are sinful if they hinder us from vindicating God's glory. Notice, too, how remarkable the phrase, your friend who is as your own soul. Friend there is the same word used in the royal law for neighbor. It's the word rea, Hebrew. Can mean friend. It can mean neighbor, just kind of like the general person who lives next to you. Um, or it can mean a friend, right? It says here, you love this neighbor as your own soul. That's fulfilling the royal law. Guess what? There's one law higher than that. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The first table of the law comes first. God will be primary. Nor can it be said, well, this is really not loving. That's just that really mean Old, Old Testament God. He's all full of wrath. Go to Jesus. He'll tell you the same thing. Jesus said, Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In fact, in Luke's gospel, Christ's words are even more emphatic than that. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Thomas Boston explains, He who taught us in the law to love our neighbors as ourselves does not contradict this here, but speaks out of what is implied there, that we must neither love our neighbor as ourselves, as God. It is not an absolute hatred, but a comparative hatred, which is meant here. That is a lesser love, as when, quote, the Lord saw that Leah was hated, that is less love than Rachel. That's what it means to love God as the law requires, that so profound and all-encompassing is that law that by comparison, all loves are as hatred. Thomas Boston says this, and I was like, oh, this, guy's, this guy knows how to write sermons. A man must leave father and mother to cleave to his wife, but he must leave his wife, yea, and his life also to cleave to Christ. What other love is there on this earth besides the love to your spouse or the love to your children? And yet Christ says, I will be first. I and I alone. As a side note, just note what great proof that is that Jesus believes and knows that he is God. You can't say things like that and either not be God or not be deluded, or not be very, very wicked and a sociopath. Jesus demands all of your love, 
And if he's not God, he's contradicting the law of God in Leviticus 19. Do you so cleave to Christ, Christian? Is God and your duties toward him of such a priority in your heart that this afternoon, by comparison, your love to your spouse and even your children, your parents, yes, even this church is a hatred comparison to, uh, in comparison to your love to God. Now, as we saw last week, whoever loves God this much will love his neighbor and his family most. Love of God is preeminent of over love of family, but they do not cancel each other out. Rather, the love of God furthers the love of neighbor. In fact, I would say the one who loves God with this kind of a love in which all other loves are hatred in comparison, that man loves his neighbor more than any other person. Because if you love God like that, it will flow out to neighbor. Nevertheless, is God such a priority in your heart today? I pray if not, if something else has taken the place of God in your heart, even something that is otherwise very, very good, very, very precious, your beloved bride, your hunk of a husband, your little kids, oh, those are very good things. They don't belong on the throne of your heart. Only Christ can take that place. I pray if there was something like that with you, you would surrender it upon the altar, and I guarantee in so doing, you will love your family more. That's the great irony. Those who seek to love those things more than God, love them less than they deserve. Those who love God more, they have so much love for those others. Moving on to verse 7. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, as we did in chapter 18, uh, I will not go into great detail in the sins listed here um, because of the younger ones amongst us. Only we should note that these are very, very grievous sins. These are those things that Paul says uh, are shameful to even speak of, right? In fact, it's, it's interesting. I was reading one commentator who says, if God's word is so pure and it's like shameful to speak of those things, why are they in God's word? He says, well, God's word is like, uh, he compared it to the sunshine that comes from the sun and goes even into the muckiest mud, yet the sun is not tarnished by them, right? And they're here because these were the things that people fall into, and our world is no different today. Here, we want to ask, though, though I might abhor and even have a visceral reaction to the sins named here, and while I might be innocent of not committing any of these acts, yet when we consider what the laws fully require, am I then guilty in any way? The answer to that for all of us here is yes. Yes. Everyone in this room 
is guilty of breaking these laws here. Now, I intentionally say that in a somewhat provocative manner so that you go like, how could you say that, pastor, right? Remember, God's law forbids things, but what is forbidden carries with it an implied requirement as well. I love how the Baptist Catechism explains this with each of the Ten Commandments. Question 81, what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? You shall not steal. The Eighth Commandment forbids whatsoever does or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward state. That's what's forbidden. That's only half of it. Question 80, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward state of ourselves and others. We may not have committed any of the forbidden aspects here, but have we done fully what the law requires? We may not be tearing up the foundation of marriage and family as God gives us here. Does that mean we're doing all of our duties as we ought to to marriage and family? Husbands, you may not be cheating on your wife. Your children may have a roof over their head, food in their stomachs, clothes on their backs, but if something comes before them such as money, time, work, hobbies, your values are not in line with God's. Wives. Your husband's meals may be made. Your children may be well-educated and behaved, but if something comes before them, cleaning, money, hobbies, your me time. I have a me time too, wives. I'm not just saying that you guys have me times. We all have me times. Your values are not God's. Instead, we might apply what we learned with our love for God and say that our love and duty towards our family, towards our wife, towards our husband towards our children, towards our parents, ought to be so great in comparison of these other things that it looks like we hate those other things in comparison to their love. Husbands, in comparison to your love for your sweet bride, it should look like you hate your career. In comparison. Okay, show up to work. I'm not saying you can get fired. In comparison, that's how devoted you should be to your bride. Wives, in comparison to your love for your husband, it should look like you don't care at all about your house and whether it's dirty. You love that man so much, in comparison. I'm not saying let it go into a pigsty, right? That's not what we're saying. Kids, in comparison to your love and respect for your parents, it should look like you hate games. You hate them in comparison to your love and respect for your parents in comparison to our love for our children. It should look like we hate our homes and our jobs. We let them fall apart in comparison. In comparison to our love for family, we hate money. We hate hobbies. We couldn't care less about meantime, our me time in comparison with our love for them. That's the kind of love that reflects the values we see in this passage and the question for you is this afternoon is, do you have that for your family? Is that how you are fulfilling your duties to your spouse, to your children, to your parents? I had a professor in college. 
he would tell the students that had families, men, if you're getting A's and B's in class, but C's and D's at home in being a husband and as, and as a father, you're missing the whole point. I pray, brothers and sisters, you get A's in all of life. Okay, I'm not saying, I'm not a fan of B's, C's. Get A's in loving God, in your family, in your career. Kill it all. But if you had to choose, God and family come first. I guarantee all of us, in one way or another, when we come towards the end of our lives, I'm not saying this so that we just all leave here feeling guilty and a lot of guilt hangs over our lives, but I do think when we get to the end of our lives, none of us will think to ourselves, how foolish I was that I didn't make more money. None of us will think, how foolish I was that I didn't keep a cleaner house and have better possessions. How foolish I was that I didn't spend more time on my phone. Oh, we will say how I wish I had pursued God more and loved my family better. Those at the end of the day, when you hear about people having regrets, it's those too. I wish I had pursued God more. I wish I had loved my family better. Let me say this. Since love of family is strengthened by love of God and not weakened by it, so also, if you are lacking in your love and duty to family, that is ultimately a sign that you are also lacking in your love of God as well. It's not as though you can have God first and then something second that's not family. No. If something is second that's not family, you don't have God first. This means, if you realize as you're sitting here today ways in which you're failing in your duties, repentance starts first, not by loving God. I'm sorry, not by loving them more. The answer is always, it starts by loving God. Okay, that was... Repentance starts by loving God first and foremost. Put him back on the throne, that other stuff works itself out. Continuing on, verse 22. You shall therefore keep all the statutes, all my statutes and all my rules, and do them. But the land where I am bringing to you, that I am bringing you to live, may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beasts from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, am, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Well, here God ends, finishes up this section with curses and punishments that are attached for those who do not keep these laws. And for us, every man, woman, and child here today who does not keep the law of God. And yet, we do not tremble and despair in the light of our sin and our great daily failures to love God and love family. We have hope in Christ 
because he has borne the curse of the law, he was vomited out, as it were, so that we might not be. He has secured our inheritance, our land of milk and honey, the kingdom of God. We shall not be cast out. All of this was not when we loved God first. By comparison, we hated God. We loved sin. We loved money. We loved all kinds of wickedness. There was no love in us towards God that moved Him to save us, brothers and sisters. There was nothing but hate. But there was love in God's own heart towards broken sinners. John says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Brothers and sisters, let that love woo your heart today. The God that you are to love, He seeks to woo you today. To show you His grace and mercy, He says, love me because of my great love and affection for you as I've given you in Jesus Christ. I pray you would be encouraged as we all realize our massive failures to love God and family, be encouraged that your standing before your Father is not based on that. It's based on the love of the Father, the righteousness of His Son. Christ never failed one iota to love God as He ought to be, and He loved family body of Christ more than anyone ever did. The law is fulfilled in your... In, uh, <laughs> he fulfilled the law in our stead. You children here who do not yet know Christ and have not yet received salvation, know that God's word declares to you this afternoon that you do not love him as you ought and that you do not love family you guys know you don't. <laughs> Look at your sibling. And think of all the things you said this last week. Man, you don't love family as you ought to, which shows you don't love God as you ought to. The Word of God says because of that, you deserve to be vomited out. Which for us is actually to be vomited and cast out of God's presence into hell. The way of escape is this. Not to try to love God and then family second. It's not my admonition to you today. Guess what? You're going to hell. Really try to love God hard in your family. Guess what? You can't. You can't love God. You Understand me. You can't love God the smallest amount you are supposed to, apart from the Spirit and apart from being born again. And you can't love your family the least bit, as you are supposed to, as the law requires. But guess what? There is one who earned salvation, and he gives it to sinners freely. You can come to him even confessing, Jesus, I don't love you as I'm supposed to, and I am nothing if not full of sin. I have no love of God in my heart, but I have faith. Receive me. No sinner who's ever prayed that prayer has been turned away. Rather, he washes away their sins. He receives them with loving arms. You know what? He gives them a new heart. So that for the very first time in their whole existence, though not perfectly, they can now begin to love God and love family in new obedience. That is here for everyone today. 
Just come. Don't look at your love. You have none. Look at the love of God and the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, how quickly we are like Israel in the Old Testament to turn after other gods. How quickly we call out to you, you deliver, we give thanks. And so quickly after that, we fall and put other things upon the thrones of our hearts. Oh, Father, how, how so very badly we fail at loving our family as we ought to. Father, we pray that you'd pardon us for the sake of Christ. We pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to love you more, to press on into you more, to love our family as we ought to. Oh God, would you make us a people that by comparison of our love to you, hate all other things. And secondly, by comparison of our love for family, hate other things that take the place of family in this world, like career, and hobbies, and money, and whatever else. Oh God, may we hate those things in comparison. Father, I pray for those who don't know you here today. Would you show them the way of salvation, that it's a free gift that you hand out to them this very moment that can be received by faith, not because of any love in us, but because of all the love in you to be received by faith. In Christ's name.